Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace to give thee thanks and praise for all that you are to us. You are our creator. You are our saviour. You are our protector, provider, sustainer. And for this we praise thee and glorify your name. We pray for your presence with us now as we look into your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit may be our teacher and this vessel of clay just to be the conduit of what you would have to say to us this day. We pray and ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning uh, I was listening watching from home to the Word of God and um, I had to get taken away uh, early because my son Brian was not feeling very well and he's at home. I was going to take him to emergency again but uh, he managed to, to be okay and stay at home. But, um, it's just a reminder to me that all of us have to some degree or another, needs, illnesses, whether they are spiritual, whether they are physical, whether they are mental. Uh, there's a lot of us that are impacted in our families with these situations. And when it does come down to that, we know we give everything our families. And many times we would wish that we would have this, the illness rather than our children. And, but that's an easy thing to say until it happens. But what we can do is always turn to God, the one that sustains us, the one that keeps us, and the one that will heal us if it be according to His will. So, with that in mind, this morning, as I was contemplating what to talk about this afternoon, to speak and to read. Um, I had an occasion on the weekend to talk to a couple that had very, at least the one partner had a lot of fear of what's happening in the world today and I'd like to focus on that from the viewpoint of the Word of God and specifically the Apostle Paul. So with that, I'd like, with the Lord's help, we can turn to the second epistle of Paul to Timothy, chapter 1. Second epistle of Paul to Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, 
Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of a love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. This thou, this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest well. I read to the entire end of the chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Second Timothy is well known to us, especially it's often read at funerals, at least quoted at funerals, where people pass away, like the ones that we have heard in the recent last couple of days. We often hear the word Timothy chapter 4, it says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Have I fought a good fight? I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearance. His appearing. This is the same letter that we began to read this afternoon. There were no chapters back then, there were no verses. It was just a continuation of the, the thoughts that the Apostle Paul put down on paper, on parchment, and inspired by the Holy Spirit as we hear it, as we read of him, as he says in the previous letter that he wrote to the, the uh, bishop of Ephesus, which is, which is Timothy. He wrote this letter knowing 
that he was about to be delivered to the mouth of the lion. Knowing that he was about to be executed by the soldiers of Nero. Uh, he was delivered from the mouth of the lion, but it may not have been the way he ended up. Tradition says, legend says, that he was actually beheaded outside of Rome, which was another um, way that the Romans would deal with criminals. Perhaps because he was a Roman, a Roman citizen, they never crucified him. Uh, they, they had to give him a, a Roman criminal execution, and maybe that's why they beheaded him, if that was the case. But he was saying this in complete calmness. He was completely at peace. He was completely at rest. And that word that he writes about Timothy, that, you know, how he was refreshed by Onesiphorus in verse uh, 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. He often put me at ease, the literal translation was, or gave me rest. It took a lot of weight off his shoulders when he visited him and encouraged him in the Lord. And so he was a, a man that was ready to go. The one that was the one that was hailing Christians to prison. The one that was um, even the witness of Stephen, the, the, the deacon, when he was stoned to death in chapter seven of Acts. The same apostle was a new man, a different man. He was a. Uh, as we heard not long ago from a, a soul that we're counseling with, a 180 degree turnaround, that's repentance. When he turns around in the direction that he was going, and he turns around 180 degrees, and they're about face. And that's what repentance means. It means um, to rethink, literally, repent, or to reconsider your ways, to think differently, when we were not converted, we had one, one view of God, one view of ourselves. We thought we were pretty good. We thought we were doing okay. We thought, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with this? And we thought, God doesn't really matter to me in this, at this point. There are more important things in my life than God. But when God brings us to the crossroads, and we realize that, We've reached the end of our road. It's a time that we need to make a decision. And some will make the decision to about face 180 degrees, and others will make the decision to go even further and say, What's the use? I've messed up, I may as well mess up all the way. There's no gain in doing that. There's no there's no win. One reason they think that is because they think that God is like man. That God is limited in what he can do with me. Or that God is not gracious enough that he can forgive my evil behavior, my evil conduct. And so we have a, a really reduced, minimal view of who God is. 
when someone sees the truth, when someone understands the truth, they see God in a completely different sense, in a completely different way. And they say, yes, my sin is big. But God's bigger. Yes, my sin is great. But God is greater. Romans 5 says, For where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. You cannot outdo God. You cannot outsmart God. You cannot be more merciful than God. God is great. And many times we, because we have this diminished view of God, because we have this wrong view of God, even when we try to come to Him, we think, this God is a great judge. He's going to judge me again. We see a half-truth. We only see half the Bible. But just as much as God is going to judge sin because He's righteous, He will also forgive sin. He will abundantly pardon. Return unto me, for I will have mercy and abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55 says, I remember singing those songs in the choir way back when we started when we were about 1976-75 I forget we sang that song and he will have mercy and abundantly pardon and the, the song that we read this morning just brought back many memories and I hope Brother Willie Reinhardt was watching that because I remember him singing the solo walk about Zion let Mount Zion rejoice our God is great. And Paul knew that his God was great. And it says here in 1 Timothy, he says, to my dear, to my Timothy, my dearly beloved son, he had such a, a love for this, for this young man. He said, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This was like a, a Jewish greeting blessing where shalom means more than just hi, how are you? It was a, a, a will, a goodwill gesture. May your whole life be blessed. May God bless you in your totality. May you find this rest and peace in the living God. From First of all, things change from the Old Testament to the New. In the Old Testament, it was God make His face shine upon you. And God give you peace. And now it's always God and Jesus. God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the mystery that was hid for, for all ages is now revealed that God is with us. God is in us. And God is that triune God of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night. He thanks God whom he has served from his forefathers, what he has received from his forefathers. 
said, how can that be? And he was persecuting the Christians. He was serving the God of his forefathers. But it says in ignorance. He did it in ignorance. And he felt so unworthy that he persecuted Christians. He said, I'm, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church of Christ. But he recognized that. He didn't lament in that and go down into a downward spiral. He reckoned, I can see my wrong, but I can see God is greater than all my sin. And he served then him from that day forth, the day that he met him on the road to Damascus. From his forefathers he seized him with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. He must have been a special brother in Christ, a special brother in, in tribulation, a comrade in uh, tribulation, because he, he loved this uh, young disciple, if I can call him, because he talked about in Acts chapter, chapter 16 that, uh, that he actually met Timotheus in Acts chapter 16. He was a disciple already. He was a believer. And he said, God uh, greatly desired to see that he had longed to see Timothy because he had a long time had been taken uh, into, into uh, captivity by Nero, being mindful of thy tears that I, that I may be filled with your joy. And I think, what tears was he talking about? What what tears did the apostle, did the disciple um, Timothy have? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 20, it's very evident to me. In Acts chapter 20, this is when the apostle Paul, very much like Elijah, went before he was to be taken to God. He went around saying goodbye to his dear ones in the Lord that he had met and, and had such sweet fellowship with. Paul giving his final speech to the Ephesian elders. These are the elders from Ephesus on a beach, not in Ephesus, but some, somewhere away from Ephesus on a beach. He, and he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God, verse 32 of chapter 20, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I showed you all things, how that so laboring you are to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell upon Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him in the ship. I can't remember the exact chronology, but I do know one thing. Timothy was one of the elders in Ephesus. And there was such a love and bond between the two that Paul remembers his tears. I, I remember you crying. And 
and I may be filled with joy. He wants to see him so that he can be filled with joy again. And guess what? If you read to the end of the chapter, you see Paul saying to Timothy, you know what? And when you come, bring my cloak and bring my uh, books and bring my parchment. He was going to see, at least they planned to see each other one more time before the Apostle Paul was which was to read his last. And it says here that when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. He was raised as a, a believer, with my believers. And if you go to chapter 3, it talks about, in verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus as a child. What would we consider a child today? Under 13, 12, 10, 11, 9. But he knew the scriptures as a child because that was the, that was the way they used to train their the children, whether it was word of mouth, whether some were fortunate enough to have a scroll of some sort, but they would learn them off by heart and, and, and by rote. You know, back then they didn't have a lot of these contraptions we have today to take away our minds, our focus, our, our attention. What are our children learning today? When, when the Word of God comes into the heart of a child, the Bible says, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And so, as the Apostle Paul charged Timothy, we also charge the young fathers, the, the young mothers, to instill in the children the, the Scriptures, the Gospel, He says here, as he continues, wherefore I put thee in remembrance, I want to remind you, I want to remind you, the Holy Ghost should remind us, but it doesn't mean he won't use uh, teachers, instructors, parents to remind the children, the disciples, the believers. In one another place it says, for me, it is not burdensome to remind you, but for you it's necessary. Because we forget. Um, our focus changes, it drifts, and we forget. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on of my hands. Now, when I look at uh, this verse, I think I cannot remember the Apostle Paul ever baptizing Timothy. He actually met him uh, with his. In Acts chapter 16, I wasn't sure if that was a comment, but he met him. And he said he, he was one that believed. And that he had already this instilled in him. But I believe that this putting on of hands here may have been for a special mission when he chose him to be a disciple. The hands were laid on the, uh, the, the, the believers in Antioch when they laid hands 
on uh, was it Paul and Barnabas were there? Uh, they commissioned them, certain individuals, to go out and be uh, emissaries or missionaries, if you will, for the gospel. And this is no different. The laying on of hands in many uh, situations is not just for um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we see in, in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 19. Uh, the Holy Spirit came down in different ways. In, in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius um, was hearing the gospel message from Peter, and all of a sudden, down came the Holy Spirit. And the testimony was, just as it did in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, spontaneously, if you will, and they spoke in tongues. But there was also another uh, function at which the hands were laid, whether it's the laying on of the hands for gifts and sending out on a mission, commission, or the ordination of elders. So the laying on of hands was not something new, it was done in the, in the uh, Old Testament as well. Kings were anointed. But in this situation, I believe that that's possibly speaking of Timothy's charge when he became an elder in Ephesus and gifts were given to him um, for the missions that he had to, to face. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, if, if there's ever a time that we need to hear this verse, it's now. I mean, way back when they had the Apostle Peter, as far as we're concerned, in this generation, we need to look at this verse even more. We need to believe this verse even more. Because what is going around in this world, what is all the events that are coming up? You know, Jesus said that when the real time of, of this, before the Son of Man appears, it says, men's hearts shall be failing them with fear. Men's hearts shall be failing them with fear. What's going to come upon this earth? And the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. What was, what was some of the things that Timothy was afraid of? In, in another verse, I can't remember if it was here or in another chapter, it says, Let no man despise thee. Let no man despise your youth. He was a young elder. And there are some that would maybe take advantage of that, thinking that they are senior or older. And, and he was telling Timothy, Don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Do not fear. Don't be intimidated of the persecution that is upon us right now. Don't be intimidated or fearful that things are out of control. He says, God has given to us not the spirit of fear, but of power. We have ability, we have potency through the Holy Spirit. 
we can do things that we couldn't do before. You know, when Jeremiah was called by God to be his prophet in Jerusalem for 40 years, Jeremiah said, I am just a child. I am but a child. And he probably was. He probably wasn't a child, physically. Remember, King Josiah was uh, king of Judah. He ascended to the throne at the years of eight year old. But God chose him. And Josiah ended up being one of the better kings of, of Judah. Jeremiah, God says, you are going to pull down, yeah, but uh, pull down, tear down, pluck up, root up. With your words, you're going to completely um, bring to naught this nation of Judah because of their disobedience. That's what happened. They wouldn't believe him for 40 years. They wouldn't believe him until they saw the, at the gates of Jerusalem come the army of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And he prophesied exactly what was going to happen. And Daniel took his book when he was in Babylon. He took the prophetic words and he read them because he was one of the captives that was taken away. And he, read, and he believed the word of God. He entreated God in chapter 9, I believe it was. He says, God, for your name's sake, for, for your promises' sake, 70 years and up, do what you promised to do. Because he believed God. You see, it wasn't the power of the individual. It wasn't the, uh, the individual physical or academic or, 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 or uh, psychological strength that he had. It was the power of God. All he had to do was trust him and believe him and, and obey him. God did the rest. It's not by might of man. It's not by the power of man, but by his spirit, God says. And so if you're, if you're thinking that there's no way I can do this, I, I can see how frail and how weak I am, and there's no way I can uphold the, the, the commands of God, I'm, I'm too frail, then you're right. Exactly right. And you're in a place where you need to be. It's when we come to the point where we say, I cannot do it. That's when God can. And that's when God can use you. And then God can make you a vessel of honor, as we read in chapter 2 of this very letter. But when you say, I can't, then says, good. That's what I wanted to hear. God said, now I can. Not that, he, not that he couldn't force us to, but that's not how God works. Because there's a second word in that, in, in that uh, verse. He's given us a spirit of power. His spirit of power, not ours. And second of all, and of love. His love, not ours. It's God's love. We have the love of God. Now we do, now we serve Him not because 
We have to or we'll go to hell. But now we serve him because we love him. He has given life to me. That's what that verse means. He's given us this power, this spirit of power and of love because it's love that doesn't ever want to make us leave the Lord. Never will I leave my Lord, as the, script, as the Zion's Heart song says. Why? Because what shall separate us from the love of God? Can famine, can persecution, can all these things in, listed in Romans chapter 8 separate us and divide us from the love of God? It says, nay, we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors in Christ because of the love that God has given to us, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5 says. We have that love which motivates us, which moves us. Talk to the mothers that are nursing their children. Nothing can separate them from their children. Nothing. Look at the she-bear or the lioness, how they guard their young and they'll fight to the death to protect their young. It's this love for their offspring. And we are made in the image of God. We have this love, the spirit of love, which no matter what happens, we belong to the Lord. And the last one says, we have been given the spirit of a sound mind. What is a sound mind? When we knock on something and it's hollow, it's not solid, it's not what we would call sound, it's not solid, it's not stable, it's not strong. God has given us, if we truly believe in His promises, if we truly believe in His gospel and His word, God has given us this unmovable view of our lives. That no matter what happens, God is. No matter what predicament I'm put in, God is there and I'll be safe. And that's what gives us victory over fear because we believe His promises more than the lies of the evil one, more than the lies of the devil, more than the, the temptations of our flesh. Just uh, this, one of our last parables that we, t we took up in uh, the parables sessions of the CFG was the parable of this the, the sower that sowed good seed who became the children of the kingdom. The seed was the children of the kingdom, the good seed, and the bad seed, the, the tares or the darnels, were the children of the wicked one. And I'll be honest, when I thought, okay, this this was given to me to, to discuss, it's such a seemed like a, such a simple parable. The good and the bad, and I've heard it many times before. You know, here's the church, you know, the church is good and the bad. But the more I studied it, the more I realized we've got to take the word as it is, as it says. 
It says the word is the seed. And the sower is the son of man, Jesus Christ. The field is the world, not the church. The field is the world. And the tares are the seeds of the wicked one, the devil. And what I understood from that parable was, you know what? It's the Son of Man's field. It is God's field. It is not the world's or the devil's field. It doesn't belong to him. God says, hands off the field. It's my field. And God said, let them both grow. And, and exactly the things that we have been reading of the, the Apostle Paul and the other disciples and the apostles that, that actually suffered persecution. What happened to them was exactly what happened in the parable. God says, Jesus says, there's going to be the spread of the gospel throughout the whole kingdom. His disciples, his apostles will sow the seed, the good seed. And anywhere the good seed is sown, he said, along is going to come the devil and his emissaries, and they're going to sow counterfeit seed. They want to counter the seed that was sown. So that people will see it and say, they're pretty similar. I'll choose the, I'll choose the easier way. I'll choose this one. I can't tell the difference. And they will deceive many. The devil will come and snatch that seed away from them with lies, with deception. And anywhere the apostles went, anywhere they went, there was always opposition. Elemas the sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer. The Jews that came and, and were, were persecuting Stephen, they stoned him to death. And now the apostle Paul is found not only was he captured and taken to Caesarea and then later released, but he was captured again later on and taken to Rome. And this time, he was going to stay. And anywhere the word of God is sown, there's the counterfeit, there's the, there's the imitator, there's the adversary, there's the deceiver. these questions now in COVID, right? We have these questions. 
What should we do? Should we listen to the government or shouldn't we? Should we um, come to church or shouldn't we come to church? Even within our own churches, we've got different opinions. At what point do we disobey the government? Or should we disobey the government? Many of our believers in times past, the government says, you, you, you don't escape. If you do escape, you're going to get punished or killed. Guess what our believers did? Many escaped. Many fled. This is what Tertullian said. This is towards the end of his long, long letter. He asks, But how shall we assemble together? How shall we as believers under this strict persecution assemble together? How shall we observe the ordinances of the Lord? And the ordinances that he's talking about is not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's what he's really talking about. Because throughout his whole letter, Tertullian was arguing that we, we do not try to in any way buy our redemption back from the government. We bribe the guards, we, we bribe them to do this and to do that, to give us our freedoms. I'm not saying he's right or wrong. But he, his, his stance was that we've been given a challenge. The, the, the life of the believer, as, as described by the Apostle Paul, was a race. It was a contest. And in the end, as we read in the fourth chapter of Timothy, there is a prize. There is a prize winner. There is that crown, that Stephanos, that no man can take away from him. And he says, who's going to give that crown? It's going to be the Lord. He says, who set the rules for the race? Of course, it's the Lord. There is nothing that happens to a believer that, that is not within the knowledge of God. Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them two by two, he said, not one hair from your head, head shall perish. I said you as, 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 as sheep among the wolves. And he promises that he's with you. And lo, I'm with you until the ends of the earth. This is a, this seems a bit of a paradox in this chapter as we read uh, Paul's last few verses as, as we know it before he died. Chapter 4, verse 17. Let's go just before that. And my first answer, when he first came to, for a trial before Pharaoh, before Nero, no man stood with me. No man came to give me support. They all fled, like they did with Jesus. No man stood there with me. But all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. 
It's almost as if Paul was saying, Brethren, you should be here with me. But they didn't want to be identified, perhaps. They didn't want to suffer the same fate. And he said, I pray that God will not lay it to their charge, but they forsook him. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. God stood with me. And strengthened me. That by the preaching, that by me the preaching might be fully known. And that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So he was delivered. He was delivered the first time. He was delivered from the mouth of the lion. Remember one of Paul's letters? And he writes to the brethren. He says, give greetings. Give greetings to so and so and so and so. And then that are of Caesar's household. That in prison he had, he had converts that listened to the gospel message. And they believed. And then he says in verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Wow. He's about to die. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto this heavenly kingdom. We know that Paul, the apostle, died. He died. He was executed. But it was time for him to go. And he didn't consider that an evil work because he knew that this was my time to leave this world. God set up the rules. And through his death, he glorified the Father of lights. He glorified the Lord Jesus Christ. So it wasn't an evil work from God's point of view. It was a good work. He became a martyr. And as Tertullian said in his letters, he said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Except the corn of wheat die and abides alone, it doesn't bring forth fruit. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And so a testimony of the righteousness of God, of the love of God, of the, of the grace of God, if in one death it raises who knows how many more believers in Christ, he's glorified. If the worst thing that Apostle Paul could think of was physical pain, it would have been quite sad. It would have been quite sad for Jesus. We know it would never happen, but we know we know it was very difficult for him. He prayed to God, and and, and shed as it was, uh, great drops of blood, sweat. And if it be possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. Parable that, that Jesus gave in John chapter 12, the seed, the corn of wheat that fell into the ground, he's speaking about himself. He was the one that died. And he brought forth much fruit. To this day, where approximately a billion people at least profess Christ. 
We know the scriptures say that many are called, but few are chosen. And those that were not willing to take up their cross, were not willing to take that cross and die with Christ, would not receive that eternal reward. The sound mind that God gives us is one that keeps our feet planted on the ground, not in some inebriated uh, fashion, in some, some fantastical fantasy, but this is real, this is truth. This was demonstrated 2,000 years ago and propagated by innumerable witnesses and experienced in our lives today where people can truly say, if they were honest, this is a good man. This is a man. There's a child coming. This is what Tertullian goes on further to say. Therefore, all you need for your protection is not to bribe the Roman soldiers, it's not to flee from them. All you need is to have both faith and wisdom. If you do not make use of these, you may lose even the deliverance which you have purchased for yourself. Many bribe the soldiers. And then when that, they weren't happy with that, and they had no more money left perhaps, then they got it. Where were they then? What happened with Judas? When he betrayed Christ with 30 pieces of silver. And then we realized afterwards, terrible thing that he had done when they were actually going to crucify the one that loved him. We know what happened. Well, if you do employ them, faith and wisdom, you don't need any need of ransoming. And then he said this, which really caught my attention. Lastly, if you cannot assemble by day, you have the night. The light of Christ, luminous against this darkness, you cannot run about among them one after another. You cannot run about among them one for another. Be content. Be content with the church of threes. He said that. Be content with the church of threes. We've got a church of tens. Maybe in two weeks' time we have a church of fifties. But whenever we have a chance to commute to, to get together, we need to get together. We need to assemble ourselves together. Whether it's through Microsoft Teams, whether it's through physically in the flesh. But he says, be content with the church of threes. It is better that you sometimes should not see your crowds than subject yourself to tribute bondage. In other words, keep on paying for your freedom. Keep on paying for your freedom. The advice that I gave to the individual the other night was leave everything to God. Take everything one day at a time. I give often this advice when people are in pain, physical suffering, whether it's a mental uh, torment. Take everything one day at a time. Don't bring upon yourself the load of all the future. You cannot bear it. 
Because God can make a way. God can make things happen. Change for you. Change for us. Jesus said, Don't worry. Don't be anxious for anything. Paul repeats it in Philippians. Do not worry about tomorrow. For sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Take no thought for tomorrow. What shall you eat? What you shall drink? Whether you're going to be persecuted or not. Live your life for Christ today. Don't let Satan steal your joy for today because you're worried about something that may happen in the future. God doesn't want you to worry about that. Let him worry about that. That's what Paul did. He was content in a Philippian jail. He had said, I've learned to be with, all, with everything content. And last but not least, perhaps first, if we indeed have that mind, the sound mind, that we believe that God is with us, that God was with Paul when he faced the lion, God was with Daniel when he faced the lion, God was with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fire furnace. And when they looked up and saw, whoa, there's a fourth man there. Who is that? Like unto the Son of Man. I remember many years ago in Western Road preaching that very sermon. Saying, you and me, I know, I've seen it. We have loved ones, we have friends that are going in a crucible. You know what a crucible is? It's a holder, like a pot, that you put raw ore in there, and you put it into a furnace, and you let it burn, and it's very hot, but it melts away the precious metal, and, and brings us the, the dross and the other impurities to the top, and, and out of it comes pure gold, pure silver. But you know what? When we are going through that, through that fire, when we're going through that trial, God is with us. We have to believe that God is with us when we go through that trial. Many times, when the load gets heavy, we ask for God to lighten the load. And there's nothing wrong with asking God to lighten the load, but maybe God wants you to have a heavier load. Wants me to have a heavier load. Because he doesn't want to light your love. He wants to strengthen you and me. He wants to strengthen us. And he gives us a little bit more every time. Just like a bodybuilder or whatever, an athlete, they build up their bodies. As often Paul gives the analogy to strengthen us, to run that long distance marathon. Because he's got bigger tasks. He's got tasks that will more and more glorify him and more and more strengthen us and make us better witnesses and lights for his kingdom. May the Lord bless his word to you.
believe in this great and awesome God that we have. That He is ready to forgive. That He will abundantly pardon if you only return unto the Lord. Deem me the praise, honor, and glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.